a series last week in the book of Thessalonians. Every summer, we'll take a book of the Bible and we'll start working through it. You know, I was looking back through my notes and it's amazing how many books of the New Testament we have worked through since Higher Vision began. I really think there's only a few books left that we have not hit in the New Testament since we started. So we're going to continue this summer with the book of First Thessalonians. How many of you were here last week and you got to hear uh, the first one? Well, if you haven't heard the first one, you can go to our app, Higher Vision app, or you can go to YouTube, look up Higher Vision and the sermons there. You can catch up and find out what we learned in chapter one. I want you to stand to your feet this morning as we honor the reading of God's word. And as you're doing that, I want to welcome all of our church family that's joining us. You know, we have Santa Paula, we have Higher Vision Blythe, we have Higher Vision San Diego. But we also have people joining us today from Montreal, Ecuador, Oregon, Arizona, all over L.A. County. People right here in the valley that couldn't make it to church are joining us today. Can you welcome all of our online church family that's joining us? Come on, welcome them today. Isn't that awesome? Paul was speaking to the church in Thessalonica and in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, there's a a verse as they pull that passage up that really defines what the whole book is about. Paul says, we showed up, we preached you the gospel, you received it with joy. And then he says, here's what's taken place. Let's all read together. You have become an example. Let's try that again. I want to hear you loud all the way, all the way in Arizona and Ecuador. Come on, let's read it together. You have become an example to all of the believers in Greece. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. Paul says, listen, you guys have become the model. The example of what authentic Christianity is all about. So I want you to close your eyes today. Will you just say this prayer with me? Come on, make this your focus. Just say, Holy Spirit. Speak to me. Teach me your truth. Prepare my heart to receive your word. Now you just lean in to the Holy Spirit in your own way. Will you do that? Come on. Sometimes we're so busy. We don't take time. Just take time and lean in. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Holy Spirit, anoint everything that is spoken. Speak boldly and loudly in this room and in homes around the world. In Jesus' name. Somebody shout amen. Amen. You may be seated. We welcome Washington just joined us. A little history about Thessalonica. It was a city. In fact, this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica was the very first letter that he wrote to any churches. So it's really the first gospel or the, the first part of the Bible written by Paul, which we know Paul wrote almost a third of the New Testament. Thessalonica was a city that was uh, economically strong. It was in the northern part, um, the northernmost part of the, 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 the nation of Greece. But it was also a city of great moral corruption. And in this city of great corruption, God raises up a church that becomes the model or the standard, the example of what authentic Christianity is supposed to be. And we learned last week, remember I taught you that God wants to make you a model. 
We kind of had a little fun with that. But the idea is that God wants us to model authentic Christianity. And we learned he wants us to model action through our faith and our love. We learned that he wants us to model acceptance, receiving the word so that it can impact and penetrate our lives. And we learned that he wants us to, to be people who model repentance, people who model joy. And as we begin chapter two, we discover that Paul continues on this idea, but he shifts gear a little bit. Let's go to now chapter two and learn what God's wanting to tell us today. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse one, Paul says this, says, you yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters. Let me stop and say, how many of you remember back in the days in church when people called each other brother and sister, so-and-so come on. Anybody remember those days? All right. Some of you like you have, how many of you like, I have no idea what pastor Jared is talking about. Way at me. All right. How many of you just don't care? You just don't care. All right. How many are never going to raise their hand? All right. Okay, good. Thank you. You raised your hand. I I love it. Yeah. I remember back in the day we'd say, Hey, brother John, or Hey, brother Ming and Hey sister. That's the way it used to be. So this is where it comes from. So Paul says, Hey, brothers and sisters, you know that our visit to you was not a failure. The word failure is an interesting word because it means this. It means empty, void, or without results. For some reason, there was a group of people that were pushing this idea to try to discredit the effectiveness of Paul's ministry and his leadership. So as we move to chapter 2, Paul begins to defend and to define his leadership. And so what we get to see a picture of in chapter two is not what uh, authentic Christianity is, but what is authentic Christian leadership? Now, I know as soon as I say that, if we're going to talk about modeling leadership, a lot of us are going to check out and go, well, the pastor Jerry's talking about leadership. I'm not a leader. But let me stop and tell you, everyone in this room at some level in your life, you will be a leader because here's what leadership is. Leadership is simply, it means this, someone follows you. And every one of us have people following us. Some of us, uh, of us, it's our kids. Some of us, it might be in a classroom. Some, it might be on the job. Some of it might be in a ministry capacity, but all of us at some level will have some level of leadership in our lives. So the question is, are we going to be a model of authentic Christian godly leadership? Or are we going to lead like the world? I don't know about you, but I want to lead like God called me to lead. How many say amen to that? So what we're going to do today is we're going to dive into this passage and we're going to learn as Paul begins to defend and define godly leadership. What does it mean to lead? And and we're all going to learn how we can lead. You ready? So write this down. If you're taking notes, the first thing we need to model if we're leaders, and that is we're to model courage. Everybody say that with me. Model courage. So as we read through this chapter, we work through parts of this chapter. Let's find out where that's found. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse two goes on to say, you know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us. Come on, you're kind of quiet. Our God gave us what? Courage. Courage. Let me stop there. Leave that up. See, Paul begins by saying, listen, you guys know that we came from Philippi. Now, here's kind of the the context of, of the timeline. Paul needed to start another missionary journey. He wanted to go to Asia, but the doors kept closing to go there. One night he has a dream, and in that dream, there's a man in Macedonia, which is Greece, that it's called Asia Minor, is calling for help. 
He wakes up and he realizes that God has given him the message that he's supposed to go to Macedonia, to Greece. So he gets on a boat and he lands. His first place he lands is Philippi. Philippi is the place where he meets uh, some women out at the river who are worshiping and praying. One of them, her name is Lydia. Lydia is a woman who had a business and God used Lydia as someone to provide housing and also to provide finances to help fund Paul to go throughout the region on his missionary journey. That's why for many of us who are in the, the field of business, we need to understand that God didn't put you in business just to provide for your needs. But if you're a believer, he's put you there so that you can help make sure the gospel goes out to the world. Amen. So Lydia was the person God used. When he's in Philippi, he starts preaching and there's this girl that keeps um, disrupting his services. She keeps yelling out during the services. Finally, he gets disturbed by it. He turns around and he says, in the name of Jesus, I command this devil to come out because the woman was a psychic and there was a demon operating in her and he casts the demon out. Well, when that happens, now this lady... She can't make money as a psychic anymore. And the, the people who kind of owned her in this business got mad because now she can't do what she had done before. So they stir up a riot and Paul and Silas end up getting beaten and they get thrown in prison and they're in the dungeon. And then they begin to pray and a miracle happens. God opens the prison doors. They get out. The, the leaders of the city realize they're Roman citizens. And so they ask him to quietly leave. And so they're kicked out of the city. And so now, after they've been beaten for sharing the gospel of Jesus, because that was what happened. People came along and said, these guys are teaching heresy. They're teaching you to serve another king besides Caesar. And they begin to come against them. And as they come against them, Paul and Silas are beaten. They're, they're accused. They're humiliated. And now they end up in Thessalonica. And he says, you guys understand. He says that we were, we were suffering for the gospel. We were suffering for doing what God had called us to do. He says, yet, as leaders, we had courage to declare his good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. Now, what we find in this passage is that they were modeling courage. And can I stop and tell you that God is looking for leaders who will be courageous? Remember what he told Joshua when Joshua started to be a leader? He said, stand up, Joshua, be strong and courageous. God is looking for courageous leaders. What does it mean to be a courageous leader? What does it mean to have courage and leadership? Well, sometimes that means taking bold steps of faith. I'll never forget when God spoke to us to leave Modesto. We had a great job, family, friends, a great church, all of these things. And he said, I want you to move and start a church. And so it was courageous to leave all that behind and move to a city with no people, no building, no money, nothing. We came here and yet God provided. That can be courage and leadership. There's a lot of ways to demonstrate courage. But what I want to do is I want to hone in on what Paul is talking about when he mentions courage and leadership here, because he's very specific. You see, the idea of courage in this particular passage of scripture, it means this in the Greek. It means to speak honestly and boldly without fear. So courage is sometimes you have to stand up and be willing to speak the truth, to declare God's word to declare the good news. Let me ask you last. When was the last time you were more concerned about what God thought about that situation than what everybody else thought about you? Because if we're not careful, we'll, we'll please people. And I'm going to tell you, if you, if you please people, you'll struggle at times with pleasing God. 
Because God has called us as followers of Christ, as leaders, that he's positioned us that in times to be where we are so that we can be the voice of light and we can be the voice of truth. I love what Paul said in another gospel. He said this in Ephesians 4. He said, instead, we speak the truth in love. And he says, here's what happens when we speak the truth in love. We grow in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. What's cool about this verse is it's in context of when Paul tells the church in Ephesus, he says, hey, listen, God gave the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher to the church so that when they teach the word, when they speak the truth, it'll make the people, the saints grow so that they can be like Christ and fulfill ministry. And then he goes on to say this, he says, because there's going to be all kinds of winds of doctrine, all kinds of false teaching, all kinds of things that will toss you around and cause you to drift from God, what God wants you to be, cause you to drift from being like Christ. So because of this drift principle, you need people like me to speak the truth in love so that you can grow to be more like Jesus. problem is, is the church has been good about speaking the truth, but not so good all the time at doing it in love. So we got to work on the love side, but we also need to know that God's called us to speak the truth. Here's the interesting thing. Paul says that we've been messengers entrusted with the gospel or the good news. And that, that idea is kind of found in the days that, that Jesus lived or the days even before that, when there were Kings, what would happen is that that they would find a messenger. If a king needed to get the word out to a certain person or to a group of people, he didn't do social media, he didn't go to the news, he, he didn't put it in the paper. He found a trusted messenger. And he would write his message, he would seal the stamp on it, he would give it to this person that he, would, could, he could trust. What's interesting is the Greek phrase there in the New Testament, here's what it means. It means this, it means a tested and examined messenger... That you can put your faith or trust in to put the message in their care. So what the king would do is he would say, listen, I've appointed you to carry the message to these people because I can trust. You've you've passed the test. You've been faithful. And here's what I know, that when you start to go do it and someone comes and tries to distract you and leave and go another way, you're not going to do that because I trust that you're going to deliver the message. And when you go along the way and robbers are there to steal from you, I know that you can defend. You're going to do what you need to do. I can trust you that you're going to deliver the message. And I can tell you that that's exactly what God has done. He's he has put you on that field. He has put you in that classroom. He has put you in that house. He has put you on that job because you're not there just to fill space and make some money because you are a messenger with some good news. And he's looking for someone who will have the courage to rise up and not be afraid that they're going to label you a fanatic Christian and not be afraid that people are going to stereotype you. Not afraid that people are going to judge you because you have standards. Listen, God is looking for some people who have passed the test, who have said, God, I am going to be the person that will speak the truth in love because this word needs to know that there is hope in Jesus Christ. Somebody shout amen. When was the last time you had the courage to speak the truth in love? Leadership 
and it requires courage. You know, as a pastor, sometimes I have to do that. I got to tell you, last week when I was preaching on chapter one and I got to the section on repentance, there are people that would say to me, don't preach on repentance, Pastor Jared. People won't come. They don't want to hear that. Preach about grace. People love grace. People love mercy. But don't talk about turning from your sin. That's just going to push people too hard. I mean, no, the spirit didn't just come to bring comfort. It came to bring conviction. God is looking for leaders who have the courage. Maybe it's your child to say, hey, son, that attitude is not the attitude that, that, that God wants from you. Son, that's not the way you talk to your teacher. God's called us to honor those in authority over us. I'm sorry, guys, but I know that we we adjust the the the, the numbers to, to make our sales look good. But that's called lying. And we believe in integrity. God's looking for people who speak the truth in love. Come on, somebody say amen. God's called us to model courage. What's the second thing he's called us to in Thessalonians? He's called us to model pure motives. As we continue reading, I love what happens here. Um, Paul continues to say to the church in Thessalonica, so you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. He alone, speaking of God, examines not, not only the, or examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery. As you well know, and God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. I love this passage because Paul then shifts into, hey, we need to model courage to speak truth. But not only that, we need to model purity of motive. Let me tell you a little bit about Thessalonica and why this was important. What's interesting about Paul that seems a little bit contradictory is that Paul, in many of his letters, here's what he taught. He taught the churches that they were to be people who, first of all, he taught the pastors. He taught Timothy, his spiritual son, you need to teach people about giving. You need to teach people about generosity because it's the way they fund the kingdom. It's the way that they unlock God's blessing in their lives. He teaches. He said, you need to do that. And he said, the churches, you need to support the vision of the church and the, the leadership of the church financially. That's the way it works. He taught that. And yet now here we see him saying this. So what was going on? Why, why was he doing this? Because in Thessalonica, it was a unique situation. Thessalonica sat on a freeway. It was one of the first known freeways of its day. And it connected the west and the east. So everyone who had goods for sale from the east would bring them. And everyone from the west would come and they would come to Thessalonica. Thessalonica had a booming economy. They would have goods and trade was, you know, was taking place. The economy was thriving. So everyone in the region that wanted to make money moved to Thessalonia, Thessalonica. When they got there, here's the thing. Not only did people who wanted to make money in the, the, you know, the realm of business go there, but all of the religions throughout all that region, all the religions of the Far East, all the gods and religions of the Greeks, you know, the many gods that they had, they all wanted to expand their false doctrine or their cult or their religion. And they wanted to get to Thessalonica because if they could get to Thessalonica, they could compete for the people. And when they competed for the people, they would make money on their religion in that city. And so now Paul shows up 
And he's trying to win people to Christ. And so he says, listen, here's the thing. I'm going to just work. Because if I work and don't ask for money, then maybe people will know that I'm not like all these other charlatans and people who have another agenda. And so he, he got a job and he worked so that he didn't ask for resources. And sometimes people come to church and their mindset is, well, the church just wants my money. Listen, we're just glad you're here. And I say things like this. You don't hear in a lot of churches. You don't have to give a dime to go to church. You don't have to give a dime to get to heaven. You know how we get to heaven? It's not through works, but faith in Christ. I will tell you, you'll never see the fullness of God's blessing in your life until you learn the principle of generosity. But we're glad you're here. The point I want to make is that it's simply this. I think what Paul is trying to tell us in this unique situation is that people don't care how much you know until people know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And one of the things I think God is trying to teach us is that our hearts in the beginning as we're building relationship with people is that we make sure that people know that our motivation is that we love you. We believe God has a plan for you. And that's why we're in this relationship. One of the things I try to do as a pastor is I try to, to, to have this principle played out. You know, as a pastor, sometimes people um, want to be kind to, to the pastor. So if you go out to lunch, they want to buy your meal. And when I go out with people to lunch, I fight people to not let them buy my lunch. I want to buy. I'm like, come on, let's arm wrestle right now. I will arm wrestle you. I will take you down. You are not put that card away. I fight to pay the bill. Sometimes I lose, but many times I win. Why do I do it? The reason I do it is because I want to make sure that people know that I'm not here to give a handout. If anything, I'm here to give a hand up. We need to help people to discover a relationship with Jesus Christ. And what I want to encourage you with is that when it comes to any relationship that God has placed you in, make sure that as you're a leader, build that relationship around a pure motivation that I care. There's no agenda. There's nothing I'm trying to get out of this. All I want to know is that the love of Jesus is flowing through me to you. God has a plan for you. God is going to work in your life. God's looking for pure motive. Somebody say amen. Now there are times where churches have capital campaigns and, and things. And there's times where the church encourages people to take steps of faith. But how many know that our giving ultimately is not to people. It's not to the church. It's to the Lord. And isn't it beautiful that no matter when you give to God's kingdom, no matter where you give or how you give, God always knows And the Bible says that God is not mocked for what a man sows, he will reap. How many know that you will always reap a reward of blessing when you honor the Lord with generosity, with your time, your talent, and your treasure? Somebody say amen to that. God also wants us not only to model pure motives, but he says, I want you to model transparency. So we learn that we're to model courage, we're to model pure motives, and then we're to model transparency. Let's read what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. He says, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn and not be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news to you. You yourselves are our witness. And so is God that we were devout and honest and faultless towards all of you believers. You know, the third thing that Paul is teaching about authentic um, leadership, and let me just say this, is that authentic Christianity is always produced through authentic Christian leadership. 
Paul goes on to say, listen, the next thing I want you to know is that when we were with you, it wasn't about how cool we were. It wasn't about how great we were. It wasn't about how perfect we were, how righteous we were. We just opened up our lives to you. We just became transparent. We shared our lives with you. And what I love about Higher Vision Church is that this isn't a church of masks. What I love about Higher Vision is people come in and they're open and they're transparent. You probably have figured out as a pastor that I tell lots of stories about my family and I talk about times where I've blown it as a parent or I've blown it in my life. I mean, know that none of us are perfect. Only Jesus was perfect. And let me tell you something. God is looking for a church. He's looking for leaders that will have the courage to be transparent because here's the principle. What you cover, God will uncover. But what you uncover, God will cover. And there's a lot of Christians that keep covering and you can go ahead and keep standing behind that mask and you can go keep putting on the clothes and putting on the face. But I'm going to tell you the stuff that's in there will leak out. But aren't you good to know that even though you might uncover and you might get real, that when you get real and you uncover that God's grace comes in and he covers all of our sin, he covers all of our mistakes, because what you cover, it will be uncovered. But what you uncover, God will always cover Hallelujah. That's why you need to be in a circle. That's why you need to be in relationship with other believers where you can say, hey, this week, I, did, I wasn't a very good model of stewardship. I made some bad financial decisions. This week, I wasn't a very good steward with my kids and I kind of blew it. This week, I struggled with because as you uncover and you confess and as you repent and as you encourage each other and you share your things that are going on in your life, the Bible says, confess your sins one to another and the Lord will heal you. Some of us aren't being healed, not because God isn't powerful enough to heal you. It's because you're not willing to uncover what he's getting ready to cover. Come on, somebody say amen. That was a good word. One of the greatest testimonies and compliments that I ever had in ministry was when Chris Carey, some of you remember Chris Carey was a part of our staff here for several years when he came and joined our team. Let me tell you why that was a compliment and why that was a a humbling moment for me. Because when Chris started in ministry, we invited him into our home. How many know that if someone lives with you, you can't hide much? Because they see your warts, they smell your bad breath. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? He lived in our home. He changed our kids' diapers. He saw the good and he saw the bad. And then later on when we moved and we started this church and he went into ministry and there was a position available. You know where he wanted to work? He wanted to work with me. And when he chose to work with me, that said something to me. That said that even though we were transparent, even though he saw our warts and he saw our failures and he saw our mistakes, he saw something that said, I want to be connected to that. I, I want to follow that leadership. And I want to tell you that, that transparency is not something to despise or be scared of. Listen, transparency, if you're sincerely, authentically following Jesus, it's the very thing that will endear people to you. It's the very thing that will cause God to release a divine flow of his grace and covering and mercy and be the very thing that brings his power into your life. Because what you cover, God will uncover. But what you uncover, God will cover. Come on, somebody say amen. Good preaching, Pastor Jerry. Amen. Amen. It's a good word. I want to give you the last point today and we're going to bring this to a close. 
right? We're to model courage. We're to model pure motives. We're to model transparency. And the last thing is we're to model parenting. I know this might seem like an interesting thing, but I want to take a few moments and break down what it means to be a parent. Because Paul, as he's in chapter 2, begins to dive into this idea of what does it mean to be a parent. He says it this way in in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7, he says it this way. He says, as apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you. He said, we could have asked you to be more generous and, and be more faithful in giving. We could have demanded some things, but instead we decided to approach it this way. That that He said, but instead we were like children among you. Or let me explain it this way. We were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. Now you need to remember feeding and caring because we're going to focus in on that because it describes what parenting is about, a heart of a parent. And then verse 11, he jumps forward and he says it this way. He says, and you know that when we treated each of you as a father treats his own children, parents, fathers and mothers, this idea of parenting. And then he explains how a father treats his children, the, the right way to do it. We pleaded with you, we encouraged you, and we urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. When I read through this, it gives us some descriptions of this leadership concept of a parenting heart. And so I want to give you those thoughts. Write this down real quick. We're just going to get through them. Number one, what do parents do? Parents feed. It says as a mother feeds her child. That idea is in the Greek, it's the nursing mother. But the concept there is that you give your child what they need, even though they don't need, know they need it. You know, as a church and leadership here at Higher Vision, we're endeavoring and striving to be godly, authentic Christian leaders. And what we try to do is provide what you need. Some of you may not know you need it, but we've got a youth camp that we've got a bunch of kids going to camp because we know that kids need to get around other Christian kids so that they can iron sharpen iron. And so one man courage another so that they can have an encounter with God before they go back to school and have all those temptations. And you may not think your kids need it, but we're going to try to, as parents, because we love you, provide what you need. That's why we have a camp. That's why we have kids ministry. It's why we have spiritual growth Institute, where there's a two year process where you can learn systematically how to grow as a believer and, and be developed in your faith. If you're struggling with addiction, we have celebrate freedom or celebrate recovery, a place for you to find freedom from your addiction. Cause you might just think, well, it's just a habit. You know what it is, what it is, but God wants you to be free. Come on. Somebody say, God wants me to be free. You see, parents see what you need and they meet the need because a parent feeds. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you were looking at the people that God has placed around you and your mentality was, God, what do they need? What is it that you can use through me to feed their need? Come on, somebody say, feed their need. The next thing that parents do, description, is not only do parents feed, but parents shape. We read a moment ago that, that a mother feeds and cares for her child. The word cares is a really cool verse or word in the Greek. And it means this. It means to soften with heat. Let me ask you a question. How many here have ever played with silly putty? Silly putty is like an incredible creation because you can mold it and shape it. I mean, you can turn it into a ball and you can throw it against the wall and it'll bounce back at you. But at the same time, you can turn it into a photocopier. Right? You can flatten it and put it on a newspaper, and when you peel it off, what was on the newspaper is now on the silly putty. Have you ever done anything like that? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever tried to play with a really cold 
piece of silly putty. Because if you have, you can't do much with it. So what do you do? You put it in your hand. And you start to apply some heat. And so when you start applying the heat, that it starts to soften up so that it can be shaped into and molded into the image that you want to create. And isn't it interesting that Paul gives this idea that you and I are called to be in leadership. We're called to be people who care. And the word care means that we sometimes have to have the courage to speak the truth in love. Sometimes we have to be the vessel that God uses to apply some heat. Come on, as a parent, somebody say amen. Because parents aren't afraid to apply a little heat so that God can shape and mold their child into what they're called to be. You know, the interesting is not only do parents feed, not only do they shape, but parents teach. I wish I had time to break all this down, but if you read through this passage, it says, we, we uh, pleaded with you, we uh, encouraged you, and we urged you. And I'd like to break all those words down, but I can't for the sake of time. But I want to at least break down one. One of them is the word urge. The word urge in the, the Greek, it literally means this. It means to insist, but it also means when you insist, to do it with a testimony from your personal experience of the facts. So as a parent, sometimes there's this moment where you just insist, you teach your kids, and here's how you do it. You teach them because you have some personal experience with that topic. I'll never forget my dad. Many years ago, we'd gone through some things in ministry, and we'd had someone that we were serving under that we we felt like we were hurt and, and that they'd done us wrong. And I was upset, I was mad, and I wanted to quit that, that ministry and go work somewhere else. And, and I'll never forget, one day my dad finally sat me down and he said, Son, he goes, you're going to have to deal with this unforgiveness in your heart and you're going to have to forgive that man. And I'm like, Dad, but you don't know what they did and you don't understand. He goes, yes, I do. And he began to tell me his personal experience. And he started telling me a story about how that when they had first started in ministry, they went up to a church and they were pastoring this small little church. And my dad throughout his life had had epilepsy and he had medication that controlled that epilepsy. But what happened is that he had a reaction to his medication and he had a seizure. And when he had a seizure, there were some people from the church that were around. They found out about it. And while he's in the hospital trying to actually he lost his ability to walk while he's in the hospital trying to get his medication back in place so that he can now walk. The people in the church start spreading a petition to have him removed as pastor and accused him because he's epilepsy has epilepsy and in the bible there's some stories of people with epilepsy that were demon possessed and so they started passing around a petition saying that the pastor was demon possessed and needed to be released from the 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 church so he's in the hospital recovering and he gets back to church and is handed a petition by about 60 percent 70 percent of the congregation saying you don't deserve to be our pastor i'm going to tell you if you ever walk through a season of wanting to not forgive someone, how many would say that could qualify? He said, Jared, I could have been bitter. I could have, I could have turned. I could have been bitter at God. I could have been bitter at them. But he said, you know what? God began to teach me. He began to teach me that it's not about what people do. It's about what I, how I respond to what people do. That's what I'm accountable for. 
And so he said, I learned to, to forgive and I learned to, to love. And he said, Jared, you've got to learn to forgive and you've got to learn to love. And he said, son, I wouldn't be out here in California telling you this story in this amazing church, blessed the way I am, if I hadn't. And I got to tell you that if I hadn't learned the lesson of the parent, the person who had the heart to teach me from their experience, today I wouldn't be standing on this platform teaching this message. I, you wouldn't be here because there would be no higher vision church. I got to tell you something. We need leaders who will rise up and have the heart of a parent that says, I'm willing to feed, I'm willing to shape, and I'm willing to teach. Come on, somebody say amen. The last two things is that, or the last last two areas is, is this, and as we learn about parents, and that is that parents watch. If you read down through the chapter, Paul says, listen, guys, I'm so excited to hear that you are on fire for God. What happened? He sent Timothy back to Thessalonica because he couldn't go. He wanted to go, but the enemy was kind of holding him back. There was just doors closing. So he sent Timothy to check on them. How many know that with kids, we watch over our kids? If they're playing in the front yard, we watch so they don't run into the street. You know, it's funny is my girls recently have been giving me a hard time. And the reason they've been giving me a hard time is they've been teasing me about my relationship with my son Tanner. And here's why. My son Tanner uh, took a job in the OC in Orange County this summer selling pest control. So it means he goes door to door trying to, to get people to, to you know, get a, a pest control contract. Just think about the next time you turn that guy away that's come to your door. I just want, I just want to throw that out there. A young, godly, good man serving Jesus, trying to make a living. You just keep telling him, no, get out of here. He's had the police called on him. I mean, all kinds of stuff. It's a tough job as he doesn't get paid by the hour. He has to sell something to actually get some money for his work. And, and so sometimes it's rough. Sometimes he'll work all day long. They start in the morning at nine with a meeting and then they drive him out to where they're going to be another hour away. And then from 11 o'clock until nine o'clock at night, they leave him there and they walk around for all of those hours, door to door to door. And some days they walk door to door to door and everyone says no. So we're like, I'm going to pray for Tanner. <laughs> and as a dad, sometimes it, it's a, I, I feel for him. So you know what I do? I call him all the time. I pick up the phone. Sometimes I call. And here's my thought. It's like, maybe if I call, it'll just be a little bright spot in his day. If he's not selling, maybe it'll be a little bright spot in his day. So sometimes I'll call him two, three times a day and I'll just say, hey son, how's it going? I was thinking about you. I prayed for you that God will give you favor and, you know, be strong. Don't give up. And. And then my girls are like, you never call me. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I have to call you because I see you in church every day. Macy works in the office next to me. What am I doing? There's something inside of me that's like, I just got to watch over. Even if I'm not there, if I've got to send Timothy to check on... I just got to watch over. Isn't it good to know that God places, that's why we have a congregational care ministry here at Higher Vision, that when you go into the hospital, if we're able to find that out, or you let us know, Pastor Chip and our team, we're there. We're going to go and we're going to visit you. We're going to pray over you. Why? Because there's a heart of caring. And I want you to know that who's the, when's the last time that, that you couldn't help but watch over the people that were around you? Watch over those that God have placed under your care because God's looking for leaders. Parents watch. And the last thing that parents do is parents brag. Some of you are like, oh boy, here we go. Pastor Jerry's going to brag about one of his kids. I love this verse. Look at the last verse, how he ends the whole chapter. After all, what gives us hope and joy, Paul says, and what will be our proud reward 
and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? It's you. Hallelujah. It's you. Yes, you are our pride and our joy. When I get to heaven and I stand before the Lord, you know what? I'm not going to talk about, and, and I've been waiting to, to share this with you because we're, we're not that far away from it. You know, for 12 years, we've been homeless. I know we've had a place to be, but we rent everywhere we've been. But, you know, God opened the door for us to move in here and have the option to purchase. And we did our capital campaign and many people gave sacrificially. Guess what? In three to four weeks, we're getting ready to close escrow on our property. And this church will now belong to Higher Vision Church. It'll belong to us. After 12 years. But I got to tell you, when I get to heaven and I stand before Jesus... I'm not going to say, God, did you see what happened? Did you see that building on the old road? Had all these really, you know, nice chairs. And we had this cool cafe where people could come and get coffee. Had great chai tea lattes. (laughs) And you know, did you see in the auditorium, they had all those really cool lights that moved around and spun. And the old people didn't like it that much. But man, all the kids loved it. And and all the the young people were just flooding into higher vision because they weren't afraid to try and, and reach the culture. Did you see all those cool lights and that screen? Wow, was that awesome or what, God? You know, that's going to be the last thing that I would ever have in my mind. You know what's going to be in my mind? Hey, God, did you see Jake up there on the keyboard? 16-year-old kid using his gift to serve the kingdom of God and playing and anointed. Every time I got up to speak, he'd start playing and the anointing came. God, did you see those ushers, John Ellsworth, all those years behind the scenes, showing up at 7 a.m., setting up the chairs, making sure everything was where it was supposed to be, getting on the phone and calling his team and inviting new people. God, did you see John? How awesome, what an amazing leader he was. How, How great is that? You see, when I stand before the Lord, my joy and my crown is seeing that there are people sitting in this with you. It's, it's when the devil tried to tell you, you don't need to go to church. You had a rough week. You know what? You don't even need God. But yet you overcame. You per, you persevered and you made it here today. And your heart was open and ready to say, God, speak to me. Parents brag. I brag about you all the time. God's made me the spiritual father of this house. And I'm so humble and honored to see Spiritual sons and daughters, men and women, spiritual fathers and mothers and grandmas and grandpas and young men and young women, young kids that have a call of God in their life. One day Jesus is going to return. And when he comes back, I'm telling you, he's looking for leaders who have courage leaders who will have a heart with the right motives. People who will say, okay, God, I'm going to open my life. I'm going to be transparent. And I'm going to care. I'm going to be a parent. I want you to close your eyes.